0: I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and tonight we are joined by Dean Leisenblatt. Dr. Dean Leisenblatt has been in private practice in Sydney, Australia, since graduating from the University of Sydney's dental program. He went on to complete a master's degree in oral implantology and bone grafting from Goethe University in Frankfurt. He now holds a teaching appointment at Goethe, where he is responsible for tutoring the university's graduate students in Australia and New Zealand. His special interest is burn grafting, where he applies innovative solutions to complex problems and is always up to date on the latest concepts and technologies. As a member of numerous dental societies and unparalleled dedication to continuing education, he often attends postgraduate educational programs both locally and abroad. Dean Leisenblatt, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So you preach knowledge and continue education is key. Tell us about your CPD journey so far.
1: Well, you know, when I first graduated um, Sydney Uni, I just went straight into private practice. So the first thing I did was in order to actually get the job, I had to do um, the CERIC course. So the CERIC course was the first course that I did. So in order to to land that job, and then straight away, I think in the same weekend, I did Invisalign and um, Rotary Endo. I did them both in the same week or same weekend, whatever it was. And that's pretty much where I started. And I did a lot of general practice um, from there on in. Um, You know, at uni, I placed my first implant. That was, I was one of the first guys to put an implant in, in Sydney Uni's uh, dentistry program. I think the undergrad uh, B dent program, as it was then myself and one other. And um, I really, really enjoyed it. And that's where I knew I wanted to take my career. Um, so as soon as I got out, I think at the end of my, um, I guess, 2007, when I first graduated pretty within the first few months, I started my first program in implantology and I went and did an MIS weekend warrior course. And then, uh, from there, it all kind of started from there. I got into a practice that was big into ortho, although I never did it. I was never really interested in it, but then the principal kind of went down this, TMD occlusion pathway, and I followed him. And um, look, I had a really, really good learning experience. I did, I spent a lot of money at LVI and almost and did all those things. Um, you know, it was well over 100K. And at the end of it, you know, I, I had some awakenings and I had some, you know, some, some great knowledge and things that I applied a little bit today, but a lot of it I've kind of left behind. And now I've just gone with my implantology stuff and just run with that.
0: Right. So um, we've we've got a guest question by Dr. Um, Vishish P. Um, He wants to know your journey at the Goethe Implant Program, you know, the goods and the bads and what you wish you had known.
1: Oh, well, that's a really good question. Look, Goethe's program, if you're looking for a cookbook, not the right program for you it is a master of science you do need to come pretty well prepared so if you're going to go there hoping to learn implants, it's the wrong program in fact that program works best the more you know the better it is because that program is really just going to give you some gems and some pearls and the more you know the more you're actually going to get the juice out of those small little pearls that you're going to get what i wish i'd known more was i wish i knew more about soft tissue So when I first graduated and when I first got into implantology, it was all about implants and bone. And no one really cared too much about soft tissue. And The pendulum's kind of swung the other way now where everyone's getting all excited over soft tissue and stuff, and that's cool. But that wasn't my jam back when I first started implants. So it's something I'm I'm having to go back, and that's something I really wished I would have learned a lot more about before I went to Goethe because there was a big focus on that.
0: Right. And how'd you come across that? Because obviously, uh, did you come across it from someone recommending it or?
1: Yeah, I did. I, it came across, um, I was using a lot of Ankylos implants at the time and the guy that runs the program or was running the program at the time was the inventor of Ankylos. And they said, well, you know, you're doing some implants. Why don't you, have you considered doing this? And I went, that's a great idea. and, And I signed up.
0: Right. And so would you recommend it for someone who hasn't had a lot of implant um,
1: background? Look, I think there's some people that are, that are pretty smart, well-gifted, and maybe after placing 30 or 50 implants, they can go ahead and do a program like that. But to get the most out of it, you really need to know what you're doing. You need to be very confident doing sinus lifts and block grafts and stuff like that, soft tissue procedures, then go off and do it. If mm. if you you know we have people that were learning what abutments were. If you if you're at that level, it's not the right program because you're going to miss ninety percent of what they're trying to teach you. So it's good if you want to waste your money and just get a few letters after your name.
0: Fair enough. Um, so let's just hash back with some of the things that you mentioned early on when you're starting out. You, you because of the practice you're doing, Sarah. You're doing Invisalign. You're doing um, rotary. That was based off um, because that's what the practice had um, set up. Is that right?
1: Yeah, the practice was very, very CERIC driven. And the the principal liked the ROI from the CERIC. So everything, you know, as much as possible had to be CERIC. And he said, if you want a position in this practice, you're going to have to go off and and learn CERIC on your own back. So that's what what I did. And, you know, what I was very glad that I did, that I learned a hell of a lot from my first job um, in that practice in Sydney South.
0: Mm. As a, as, as, as a graduate at the time, you know, it sounds like you were spending a lot of money on CPD, you know, for lots of young graduates, they think, you know, there's, I don't have that kind of income yet. Like um, it's difficult to kind of invest in all of this. Do I wait a little bit longer or do I just dive heads, you know, straight in and then worry about that later?
1: Um, I'm always this person that always feels like time's getting away from me. So now is, it's always now. I don't put off what I can do today. I just do it. I just get it done. Um, and sometimes that works against me and that I jump into things a little bit too early. And then maybe I don't get the maximum benefit from it. So it, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. And I think the right time is when you're ready to do it.
0: Fair enough. So after the, the implants um, program, where'd you try to continue upskilling from there?
1: Um, you know what? When I, went to Goethe you meet a lot of interesting people you start talking to people you find what you really like and you find where there's holes in your in your skill base and I thought you know as part of the program um we did it was you know a great um kind of two or three days with with Otto Zuer and Marcus Herzler and that really opened my eyes into this whole soft tissue thing and and I thought wow that's really cool but you know back in the you know back in the day that was really only for periodontists you know when i first graduated no one was doing full arch you know restorative work at all that was prostodontist work right no one was doing apicectomies or or you know molar retreats because that was endo's work it was very very specialist driven but i'm seeing that again that pendulum is swinging the other way now where a lot of dentists i see guys that have been graduated 2 or 3 years that are doing full arch preps and And restoring full arches now, the things that they're doing now is just, we would never think of doing this. It's just crazy to us. So for me, I think that there was a lot of holes in my education and that's where I I sought to fill those holes.
0: Mm, Yeah. I guess moving forward, I guess tons of people are probably going to hear this kind of information and go down that similar path and not hopefully not make the same, uh, not, not mistakes, but like following that kind of path.
1: There's no mistake in, in, in doing education you know a lot of people could say you know you spent a hundred more than a hundred thousand dollars going to lvi and it's something that you don't do anymore you know what don't you think that's a big waste my answer to that is no no education is a big waste there's still things that i take away from that and things that i do implement into general practice so i don't think it's wasted but the sooner you can find what you really love and where your passion lies um the better you're off you're going to be and the less money you'll end up spending Um, But to caveat that, I think there's a lot of people that want to get into implants or want to get into cosmetics or they want to get into something because they see somebody else doing it and they feel like there's fear of missing out or they want to be just like that person. And my biggest advice is run your own race, stay in your own lane, and just worry about what's right for you and what's good for you. Don't worry about what he's doing or she's doing or what level they're at or whatever. Just focus on yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You you mentioned LVI, and I was going to ask you a question about occlusion, occlusion, occlusion is something that I've heard someone, you know, for someone who doesn't place implants yet, but is doing the restorative side of things, what's something important about occlusion that the restorative dentist needs to consider?
1: Well, you know what? I did a lot of LVI and I was still bewildered by occlusion. Uh, It wasn't until I had a lecture from a prosthodontist called Jack Piamatti, who's an orthologist, that it actually, the penny dropped. And it's when I started to really look at the occlusion of my, my implants and my implant restorative work. So I think that, you know, whilst a lot of people want to get in there and start putting the bolts in, you do need to peel that back. And, you know, I think a great place to start would be Tom Giblin's occlusion course. You know, as a young graduate, I think you cannot get a better occlusion course than that personally.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, international borders are probably not going to be opening anytime soon and you right. know, Tim Giblin's in Australia. So that's definitely um, a great opportunity. There's a lot of literature that supports you know one view and then there's a lot of literature that supports another view for anything that we kind of do. So for dentists that are um, that can be kind of overwhelmingly confusing especially when they attend one implant CPD after another. What's your advice on that approach?
1: My advice is find someone that you're happy to talk to find someone that you can that is happy to give you their time without any strings attached. Um, there are a lot of mentors that are happy to do it for a fee or happy to do it for ego or whatever, push all that aside, find a mentor that is happy to give you their time, happy to teach you, happy to tutor you, doesn't feel threatened by you, and then just go and learn with them. And then from there, you will learn some solid basics and you can spread your wings from there. You will then find what sits right with you and what doesn't, right? The same as as anything.
0: Mm. Another question I have is learning about things kind of hands-on, you know, that feel tactile versus learning something through, you know, theory. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, look, I, I'm a big hands-on person. I'm one of these guys that I can, you know, there are some people that can sit in a lecture room and just absorb all those slides into their head and it's, and, they, and they've just got it. I'm a hands-on person. I'm one of these, just, I'm a mechanic, right? That's how I, I got to do it with my hands. You have to watch me do it. Am I doing it right? Okay, good. Then practice that over and over. That's me. So because of that, we implement that into my courses where yes, I give you the theory, but there's a lot of hands-on with models and there's also live patient hands-on because I think that's the way that that worked well for me. And I want to impart that knowledge onto other people.
0: Mm. I think a lot of dentists uh, tend to have a tendency to be more hands-on um... In theory, but yeah, it's good. It's to like if you're get... an
1: audio person or a visual person. Some people can listen to a podcast and absorb all that information. Other people need to sit there and watch something and see little videos and diagrams. I'm the latter.
0: I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, so, of all those CPDs, I think you've kind of mentioned it. You know, um, what's had the biggest clinical impact on your dentistry today? Oh,
1: the biggest impact for me. Um, look, I really loved going to Goethe and I went with my best friend. So for me, it was, you know, I really, really had a great time um, both in the class and outside the class um, that had a big impact. And it, for me, it really, you know, if I would have just continued on, I would have had a pretty good um, implant career just doing what I was doing. But once I got to go I saw what was out there. I saw, a whole lot of different ways of approaching things, um, different people, and then you speak to, and that's like different um clinicians that you that were running their own courses, and you go to their course, and you speak to somebody else, and he goes, "Oh, this you think this is good? You should see this." And you go over there, and you see this guy, and you meet somebody else, and he goes, "Oh, if you think this is good, you should check out that." And it steamrolls from there.
0: Yeah, and then that's <laughs> and that's how you came across all the other ones that you mentioned.
1: um Yeah, I, I, a lot of them, a lot of those ones came from that, and. And to be honest, you know, I get a lot of inspiration, believe it or not, from some of the friends that I have on Instagram, right? There's a lot of guys, a lot of periodontists from the United States and oral maxes, and I look at their work and I, and I chat to them privately. And, you know, there's a lot of knowledge there and I get a lot of inspiration from those guys. And you just see what clicks with you and who resonates with you and and so on and so forth. And you just kind of follow that person's work and they'll go, you know what, i I did this course, and or I, I met this person, or they do a technique, and you just ask them about it, and then they will go, "Well, I learned it here," or "This is what you need to do."
0: Would would there be any CPD that you'd said that you know you didn't quite implement or wasn't as beneficial for you at the time, but you would do differently next time?
1: Yeah, look, I did, I did a number of composite veneer courses, <laughs> and um, and to the, today, I've never done one. I would sooner punt that away to somebody that's way better at it than I am. I'd punt that to Johan or somebody. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good enough to do that. I have not got the aesthetic eye to be able to sit there and match all those composites. If um, someone wants my cases, just DM me because I'm happy to punt them away. Just not interested in even porcelain veneers. I don't like doing them. I have no interest in doing them. I'm happy to punt them all away. Just uh, that, that sort of stuff really doesn't float my boat. It's I, constantly feel that there's somebody else that can do it better so i'd rather just focus on what i'm i think that i'm not bad at
0: yeah so we know there's a growing trend towards things that are more metal free more holistic alternatives to titanium and with the zirconia implants you know on the rise for graduates who see this what's your take in them trying to get into that quickly
1: uh beware okay i do a lot of zirconia implants Uh, I mean, like I do a lot, a lot of them. Uh, The biggest thing is the patients, handling the patients. Um, A lot of the patients that come for them, um, some of them are absolutely lovely and they just don't want anything metal and that's cool. And you get some people that are just really out there and they make your life difficult. And it's that patient management that's the hardest thing. Um, People think that it is a zirconium implant can be treated the same as a titanium implant. That's not true. Um, there, are, there are little subtleties in working with those zirconia implants that can become a problem. And um, they're not the be-all and end-all. That's the one thing. You, you know, there are a lot of people that, for instance, with this the whole all-on-four thing, a lot of guys will, you know, all-on-four is the answer for everything, but zirconia implants is not the answer for everything.
0: Mm. So I guess for a new grad, beware.
1: New grads, you know what, when you, once you've done... 100 200 implants think about it sometimes it's not worth the the heartache or the stomach lining to be honest you know a lot of those patients uh, they will put you through the ringer They will come for a free consult and take up an hour hour and a half of your time no problem and then they'll, they'll write you another email that's like four pages long right you got going to be prepared for that
0: i guess i guess people have to plan for the end in mind, hey
1: Right. Look, um, you know, if you if you're capable of answering all those questions and you want to answer those questions and you want to talk about meridians and all that sort of stuff, then sure. Then take that on as as a part of your armamentarium. If not, send them away.
0: So um, we, I, I kind of graze over, but we'll come back to this point about you know you, you joined Instagram fairly late, would you say?
1: Yeah, I was I was a late bloomer. I think it's been not even two years.
0: But since then, it's you know I'm going to ask you: Who's your been your biggest mentors, idols, or inspiration, and why?
1: Uh, Instagram. Look, I really like Implants DC. I think he is just solid constantly. I really like uh, Phil Walton. I like the Gum Show, which is Abbas Hassanali. Uh, I like Dimitri. I like Fatty. There's, there's, I can just go on and on and on and on. Jess Lou. I like all those guys. They all, you know, they they generally seem to be periodontists. If I'm honest. Uh, most of them, but um, Sonata is probably my all time fave. I've got a man crush on, on Dr. Sonata, but um, you know, I think the work that he does, he's not, you know, so out and about with it. He's um, if you actually go and look at some of the stuff that he does, he treats a lot of cancer patients. And I think that's really, he's got a genuine purpose and it's not so ego driven as much it is for the people. And I, I really like that. You know, it's more than just, you know, a little bit of soft tissue and a pretty picture.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. So I I guess they they've been a great inspirations uh because of um the reasons why they do it. Um less so and this
1: sometimes it's the reasons and sometimes it's the skill level. Some of their skill level is just the, the results they want is perfection. The, they, they aim for perfection and a lot of the time they hit it. And that's kind of the same sort of level that I would like to hold myself to. Hmm. So have there been any
0: struggles in your CPD or dental journey so far that some of our viewers might not have known about?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, When I first bought my practice, um, I bought the practice and there was a long settlement. And that was fine. And in that time, the dentist continued to work and called up all the patients and saw all the patients and that's cool. But then when I I first transitioned, the global financial crisis hit. So a lot of the patients just weren't coming to the dentist. It was a bit of a struggle. So, and at that point in time, I was well into my LVI journey. So I was doing a lot of neuromuscular dentistry. So I was doing less implants because people weren't coming for that sort of stuff. And I was attracting a lot of pain patients through TMD. Uh, type things. And I was doing a lot of neuromuscular dentistry. But a lot of those patients come to you with that sack of troubles and woes. And they want, they just they don't want to get better. They just want someone that's going to listen to their story. Right. And it becomes it, it, it wanes on you. Right. And after about, I think it might have been two or three years of that, I went, that's it. I I can't do this anymore. No, I, I burnt out. I really burnt out. And I think the final straw was I went to, I took a patient over to LVI. And um, we were doing some modifications with the patient. I'd been working on this patient for about two years. I'd got the patient pretty happy. Someone adjusted something somewhere um, and they lost the bite and the patient reverted back to where we were. And I just, I didn't have the energy or the strength to, to do it all over again. So at that point I went, I've burnt out and I, I don't want to go back to work anymore. So I, I spent a bit of time not going into work. And then I had this, You know, moment that alcoholics often refer to as a moment of clarity, and I said, "Well, I'm just going to go on sabbatical here. I'm just going to say that's it. I'm not doing any more neuromuscular from this second onwards, and I'm only going to focus on the things that I want to do and the things that make me happy. Um, So I'm just going to focus on implants because that's the thing I like most. And that is when my practice changed. It's when my, you know, how much I enjoy working changed. My education things started to take off, and I and from there I've, I've been happy. And the second biggest thing uh, for me was when I stopped, when I had the realization, my nurse at the time said to me, you know, I was getting down because I started seeing other people doing all sorts of, you know, wonderful treatment and I wasn't, I didn't feel I was at quite at that level. And I was worried about what they're doing and what he's doing, and what she's doing. And she said to me, why don't you just run your own race and um, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. And the moment I no longer gave a shit about what anybody else was doing, and I just focused on myself. My internal happiness changed and who I am as a clinician changed. And they're the two points in my career that have given me the most joy and have changed my trajectory the most. Wow.
0: And that came from your, your nurse, did you say? or you-
1: my, nurse, my nurse was a little bit older than me, um, but we had a really good connection. And, um, and yeah, that came from her. That, she was, she's a, a very, very intuitive people person, right? So yeah. those of you that are doing Strauman uh, will know Kim. Kim's Kim was my nurse for almost eight years, and uh, she she came from her.
0: Wow, it's it's um you know you talk about financial crisis at that time and you, all that struggles for a lot of the um, new um, owners probably now at this time they're probably going through something very similar. Would you say or
1: look? You know there, there was a time where. We came about 48 hours away from closing our doors permanently wow. and it was a very 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 trying time for my wife and myself um, and I don't envy um, anyone that's going through the same situation. I know what's going what you're going through. My wife probably knows more than me because she's the brains and'm I'm, I'm the brawn but um, you know you got to speak to people that are just more business savvy Speak to know speak to people that are just business savvy and have a business mind. I don't have that queen beam, you know, I'm, I'm the, the drone, I'm the worker, I can do nice implants and I can focus on, you know, doing nice grafts, and I, I really get, get off on that stuff. But I need to get my business head on. But that's something that I feel is the one thing outside of clinical that I really need to focus on. And if mm-hmm. anyone is, is, is listening to this and you are going to, you know, or you want to be a, a business owner, definitely match business education with clinical education, because you could have all the great clinical skills in the world, but you are no good to no one if your doors are closed.
0: Right. And so did that instance catapult you into going into learning more about business?
1: No, I was just <laughs> stupid, and put myself more into clinical work.
0: Yeah, you doubled down more on the for things.
1: I did, I doubled down more into clinical and I thought, well, if I just learned this, this, this and this procedure, then everything will be great. No dumb, but I've got a, a fantastic wife and she, uh, she carries me. So mm. that's, um, she keeps the business going. She's a, she's a numbers girl. So um, finding the right
0: practice early on and finding the right mentor is difficult. It is difficult. How, how would you say that to a new grad who is, you know, coming out or a recent grad that's trying to find that right practice, that right mentor?
1: without being a dick, shop around, right? Interview them as much as they're interviewing you, but you know, don't go around like, you know, I want this and I want that, don't do that. Just go there and say like, what sort of services you're offering? I'm, you know, I understand that, I'm a new graduate. Are you okay if I look over your shoulder? You're happy to teach me this and you're happy to teach me that. And if it's not working, don't hang in there thinking that it's gonna get better. If it's not serving you, leave or move on. Now I know, when I first graduated, that was way easier because there were jobs all over the place, right? I was working three jobs when I first graduated and then I could go to, you know, I whittled that down to two and then I bought my own practice. But, you know, if I quit, I could find a job somewhere else pretty quickly and they were decent jobs. But now I think they, they we're just graduating so many people now that unless you're happy to go regional, you're gonna have a hard, hard slog.
0: Being open-minded and, you know, always uh, being open to being challenged. What, what's what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Because I heard that at one point, were you close-minded to PET when it kind of initially kind of came Me, out? No,
1: I grabbed PET from the start. I thought that was great. <laughs> um, I did. I was a little bit hesitant to jump in straight away, but I grabbed it from the start. I, I loved it. I thought it was really cool from the start. Um I really think don't, don't close your mind off to stuff, just listen to stuff and then bring it in. Um, I would definitely say um, the biggest issue is don't try and do everything and don't try and, you know, have a bit of a, a reasonable understanding of stuff just because you see it on Instagram and things look easy or just because you saw a YouTube video does not, you know, mean that they haven't left out critical steps between success and failure. But being challenged, yeah, I think you need to challenge yourself. If you are doing, well, that's what, you know, for me, I need to be challenged. I need to, you know, I'm always doing some sort of course. I'm always doing some sort of exam or some board exam or something. I'll always be doing something, right? For me, I like that challenge. I, as much as I sometimes wonder why the hell am I doing this? It's of no benefit. Um, and in fact, one of my mentors said to me recently, uh, he said, are you doing this, for, um, are you doing this for, for money or are you doing this for um, is it going to get you a teaching position or is it just are you doing it for education or you're doing it for ego? And it's a good question. Is this thing actually going to get you somewhere? Is doing that course or doing that, you know, specialty or whatever, is it for, you know, that you really want to do that work or is it just for ego? And, you know, be really honest. A lot of the times it's for ego, right? It is having another plaque on the wall or another medal or some other, something else, I don't know, right? But I do like to challenge myself constantly. I do like to have exams and I think that keeps you sharp. It keeps you on on the fringe of things, on the leading edge.
0: Fair enough. So what's your ideal clinical or non-clinical day look like in five years time and how, what kind of CPD are you trying to double in or interested in?
1: Okay. So CPD, I would, at this point in my career with where my hand skills are and what I think that I know, I would like to do more soft tissue stuff, like more period, like refined, really high-end periodontal work. I I enjoy that. I find that challenging and something that um, I was scared of for a little while. Um, and and more complex bone grafting stuff. you know vertical, more vertical, predictable vertical stuff. I like that. right. Um, what does my ideal clinical day look like? I love grafting. So if I could have a couple of big grafts in the morning and the afternoon is just singles with a, a transcrestal sinus lift, that is a, I, that is one of my favorite procedures of all. I love a, a lateral sinus lift in the morning and I love a number of um, just posterior maxillary implants with a sinus bump, definitely one of my favorite things. My non-clinical day, uh, if it's work, I love teaching. I love running courses. I love running the theory stuff. I really like to get in amongst the students and have a laugh and and teach. And on a non-clinical day, look, if I can, happy just to go for a drive or cruise around or go to a cafe and chat with some friends and have a laugh I don't know, whatever. I'm, I'm pretty easy and pretty happy go lucky.
0: That's nice. So, are these courses in Australia in particular or are they overseas? They
1: are at the moment, they are all in Australia. Um, the hands on live patients is in, is in the Central Coast. The um, theory ones with the models and stuff like that is all run in Sydney. Uh, when the borders open, um, some of the more advanced live patient stuff will be moving to Vanuatu and other places around the world.
0: Mm. but I'm talking about the courses that you're interested in those oh, the, courses that
1: I, yeah. the, majority of the courses that I do are in Europe or the United States uh, you know I unless somebody really special is coming to Australia I generally just plus I love getting on a plane I love getting on a plane there's nothing better than just turning your phone off and just watching a movie or doing whatever as long as you're up the front if you're up the back it's not so great
0: fair enough fair enough so implantologists is now like a specialty over in the US, I hear. You know, if, there's, if that's ever happened here, would you ever consider specializing or would you want to remain a super GP?
1: That is a great question. You know, it's a double-edged sword. It's like endo, right? No one sends a single central, right, that has not had root canal before to the endodontist. It doesn't happen. Your general dentist does that. Same as a single crown or a single bridge, very rarely does that go to the pros, right? So if you specialize as an implantologist, you're just going to get the stuff that's gone wrong or something that's just ended up in a really, really bad position that you need to fix or try and resurrect. Or there's, you're just going to squeeze something into someplace that you don't want to be in that sort of situation. Or um, you, you're also stuck just doing the same thing day in, day out. I don't mind a molar root canal. I don't think I'm an endodontist and I don't mind punting them away. But if they're good, I don't mind doing it. You know, I, I think a little variety is the spice of life. So I think one of the courses I'd like to get to is that one by um, Barat and Johan. I want to do that composite course. I think that's great. I would like to do that. Just for my occlusal access holes. I want to make them look as natural as possible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want to come back to the, the composite, that, yeah, is it? I want, to
1: cut, I want that, little, that little orifice plug for the screw hole. I want to make that look as, as natural as possible.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. So you're saying you would rather remain as the the super GP, hey?
1: I don't know. I think that it, look. Because you're passionate,
0: passionate in what you do. It depends on how, feel that.
1: how much my ego gets a hold of me, I guess. I think if you did the specialty, um, it would be good, but you would be challenged on the daily all the time and it would be, you'd really have to work hard for it. Whereas if, you know, you know, you can fill your days with other things that just give you a little bit of spice or a little bit of something different and keep your mind clear. Then, then there's that as well. Chances are I would do it. You do? It's probably. Something else to hang on my wall.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if you're all, if your kids were
1: all grown up, would that change anything? If my kids were all grown up and I could do anything, I would go, if, if I had to, you asked me before, if I could do anything differently, what would I do? If I could do anything differently back at the start, when I graduated, I would pack my shit and I'd be over in the United States and I'd do a double specialty, periopros. That's the thing over there.
0: They do double specialties. That, yeah.
1: that would be my jam, periopros.
0: Fair enough. Maybe something we'll have to consider for the Australian. Um, one day, one,
1: if I could go, once my kids leave home and stuff, which is a good, you know, 12, 13 years from now at a minimum, you know, would I still be wanting to specialise? Would they take me? Maybe. If they did, sure. If not, um, I'll find something else to boost my ego. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the trend for graduates at the moment seems to be working at multiple practices. You know, you mentioned that already. So in fact, I'm seeing more and more of that being coming the case As someone who's worked across at least maybe 12 different practices, how would you describe that experience?
1: Do you know what? I think that you, if you're at one practice with one principle, you learn one thing and you learn one way of doing things and you learn one dental operating system, right? And you get into that groove. If you're working across multiple practices, you see how multiple principles work. You see how multiple principles deal with hard patients you see how multiple multiple principals and other clinicians for that fact um, interact with each other, with the nurses, with how they do things, how, what they're exposed to, what they all come with their CPD baggage and everything else as well. So I think working between two or three practices at any one time is, is fantastic. The only thing is the pain in the eyes, carrying your lips around everywhere.
0: Yeah, all your photography stuff.
1: That was the, one, well, when I, when I was a graduate, and when I, you know, before I bought my practice, there was no such thing as photography. That was just, that was just, no one did that. You know, when I first saw Otto photos, I was like, what is this? Nobody had done that before. So it was just carrying your loops. And I, it was a pain for me to, to carry loops between two practices. So I just bought two pairs. It just works in with my laziness.
0: Yes, fair enough. I, I actually carry a little toolkit and a backpack. And you know, everyone asks me, are you still going to school? Right. So, you know, if you, for someone like yourself who also works at multiple practice, but you still have one central location, is that right?
1: Well, my practice, I work at my practice at least three to four days a week. And then I'm off doing mobile stuff one to two days a week. No weekends. And nobody got time for that. (laughs) Um, Look, I think that this trend is potentially dying because So, like I said before, so many young graduates are coming out doing whizzies, doing full arch restorations, doing free gingival grabs, doing, you know, connective tissue grabs, doing implants, doing full arch implants, all on fours, X, Y, Z. These guys are on a different trajectory. They're not going to be someone that shies away and wants someone to come in and take out a couple, you know, shuck a couple of whizzies. It's not going to happen. They're going to be super GPs in their own right. And maybe they'll call, they'll send to someone for zygomas or, you know, complex endo. But I I see these guys really becoming the super GPs. And unfortunately to say, I think the only specialty that will really survive will be endo because nobody wants to do, you know, molar retreats unless it's with a two millimeter twist drill.
0: Yeah, fair enough yeah i guess i guess it's true i mean then then it comes to the dilemma for all the new grad is to decide uh, to, to see that and then try to rush and try to learn all that things that's that's a constant internal battle isn't it
1: well not really i think you know um what johan and david did was really good they both have their interests johan's got the cosmetic side of things um I think he's doing Invisalign, stuff like that. David Jang's doing the the implants and the surgery sort of stuff. I think that is a great match where you got two um, dentists in a partnership that have got different passions and different focuses that are complementary, and not one person is chasing the same thing. You have two dentists in a partnership that are both chasing the same thing. They both want to do implants or they both want to do grafting They both want to do wisdom teeth. They're both fighting for the same thing. That's never going to work. So I think what you'll find is that the trend will be um, a lot more younger dentists are going to get together and band together doing whatever. You might have a group of three, four, five dentists where they each have their own passion. One's got a passion for endo. One's got a passion for surgery. One's got a passion for ortho and they'll just band together and they'll have their own little super GP, super practice.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. We got we got um one quick question, which is is, is the Strauman grafting material xenograft or allograft? Which one? There uh, was apparently the Strauman grafting material that well, Straumann was... had a
1: number of grafting materials, right? So um, the Straumann cerebone is a xenograft, whereas that Straumann's um, bone ceramic is a synthetic. It's an alloplast.
0: Fair enough. That was just a random question that we got. It's all cool. (laughs) So uh, Dr. Dean Lysenblatt, thank you for coming on the show today. If you let the people know how they can reach out to you or kind of what's going on in your life. You
1: can reach out to me. You can uh, find me. You can call me at my practice. You can send me an email. My email is dlysenblatt at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at at lysenblatt. You can find me on Facebook. Um, You can find me on OnlyFans. You can find me anywhere, (laughs) whatever you like. I'm happy to take your calls. (laughs) Well, have a good night. All right. Thank you so much. It was great chatting to you.
0: Thank you. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.